Hey, this is the Survive the 9 to 5 podcast. We're going to talk about 401ks and retirement. This is the podcast dedicated to tactics, tips, and strategies that help you survive and be happier on your crazy corporate journey. I'm Doug. I'm Elizabeth. And in this episode, we're going to explore our feelings about money, retirement, and how a 401k can play in that uh, sandbox, I guess. I'm losing the analogy there, but... That'll work. So before we get into the details of the 401k, which we'll try not to make it as dry as it sounds, just thought we'd go over our sort of money philosophies growing up. I babysat when I was a kid, so I had a lot of cash on hand. Honestly, I used to shove it in shoes in my closet or I would use it as a bookmark in a book. My brothers used to make fun of me because they just said I had money squirreled away all over the house. So I think I've always been a little bit of a money hoarder. We didn't really go through any rough times. There's There was no good reason for that, but I am a little bit of a money hoarder. I'm a saver. I guess I just have a, a big fear of running out of money. So uh, that's me. I'm a budgeter. I don't know. That's my money philosophy. How about you, Doug? Before we go on. Did you ever forget that you hid money at certain areas and then you would like put on shoes and then find money later? Oh, yeah. Wads of it. Wads of it. And and it's silly because I had a bank account when I was pretty young. My parents opened a bank account and, and I'd de- make deposits into it. But I would also just, I don't know, I just like wad up money and I would shove it in my shoes. And don't be going through our closet now, Doug. I don't do that anymore. There's too many shoes to even like go through them all, so... <laughs> Yeah, but I would forget, and that was always a fun... It's like a squirrel. Yeah, that was always a fun thing. You know, it's, we'll think about now, if you pick up your winter coat and you put your hand in your pocket and you find a, a 20, that's a nice surprise. That's a good surprise, yeah. So how about you, Doug? What about you growing up? What was your money philosophy? I, you know, that's a good question. I think I wasn't like a hoarding saver like you were you were mentioning, but... I cut grass and washed cars. If I remember right, I wanted to get a CD player when I was like 12 or so. And my dad said, well, you can, but how are you going to pay for it? And then how are you going to buy CDs? So I came up with some plan to cut grass and came up with projections. It was a decent little business plan now that I think about it. But I started cutting grass and I had a decent amount of money for a kid, I guess, and was able to save up to buy like a car when I turned 16. And then I was able to like buy computers, just generally save. So it was a good saver. And I often had, you know, cash on hand from all the grass cutting. But it sounds like you were more of a save for something specific and then go get it. Right. Or even just save. And if I wanted something, then I would look if I had enough and then buy it, but not so much with the budgeting, especially when I was young and had very, very minimal expenses, maybe going out to eat every once in a while. Interesting. And I think that sort of shapes how, you know, we viewed money as we started working and actually, you know, needed to have a budget or for myself, kind of a lack of a budget. Although Elizabeth has helped uh, the household pull it together a little bit better as we move into this retirement idea, let's lay out some definitions. 
the 401k concept is people are generally familiar with it, but there are, of course, some rules and, and definitions that we should get into. So, Elizabeth, just at a high level, what are some of the things a person has to know or should know when dealing with a 401k? Well, let me um, let me get a little bit into the history of the 401k first, and I'll remind people to check the show notes. I think the show notes for this topic could be pretty interesting. I enjoyed researching this. So the 401k, was act- it's actually named after the section of the IRS code, and this section allows employees to avoid being taxed on deferred compensation. This section of the IRS code was not uh, was not written with the idea of what we currently know as the 401k in mind, it was actually already in place. And this man named Ted Benna, and I actually heard an interview with him on NPR, but he was researching retirement programs for a client. He was, um, he worked for Johnson companies, not Johnson and Johnson, but Johnson companies. And he was researching a retirement program for a client and he ran across this section of the IRS, Section 401k. And so he came up with the what we know of as the 401k today, and he pitched it to the client, and they rejected it. They didn't like it. So actually, the first company that implemented it was his company. He turned around and, and pitched it to his company, and they liked it. And he originally named it or was calling it a salary reduction plan. Obviously, that's a horrible marketing name. Hey, Doug, how about we uh, you sign up for this voluntary salary reduction plan? Would you like that? No, nobody is going to volunteer for a salary reduction plan. So I think that's sort of how it started being called a 401k um, after the IRS code instead of a salary reduction plan. So that's the background of a 401k. It's only been around since about 1980. And I believe it was in 81 or 82 that the IRS code or some law was updated to allow for like direct transfer from your paychecks. So um, pretty quickly they said, oh yeah, you know, the, the money can be funneled directly from your paycheck and then it really caught fire. And so what the 401k is, it's a way... For you to defer money from your paycheck, you're also deferring the taxes, and it goes into a retirement account. And often, companies will match your contributions up to a certain percent. So they'll match maybe 4%, so dollar for dollar up, up to the first 4%. And then you're not supposed to touch that money at all until age 65. There's penalties. if You can get at it sooner. But if you do, you'll be subject to certain penalties unless there's like some very specific situations where you can withdraw it. What am I missing, Doug? Is it not 59 and a half? And I think the the penalty that you're talking about, if you withdraw it before the allotted time period, then it's a 10% penalty. Plus, you have to pay taxes, which you would have to anyway when you were withdrawing it. But you get that 10% penalty on what you're withdrawing. And I think one of the ideas is, one, you're deferring taxes now, so you're lowering your tax burden now. And then once you are in retirement and you're withdrawing money from your 401k, you will maybe or likely be in a lower tax bracket, and so you'll be paying less taxes on it then as well. 
So this 401k concept kind of replaced the traditional pension plan. And I have never been offered a pension, I don't think, in any of the the jobs that I've worked at. Have you, Doug? Nope, never. That may not be true. I think in one of my jobs there was a pension, but you had to stay there for X number of years. So I, I don't have any access to pensions. But quickly, employers started transitioning away from pensions and over to 401ks. And a pension, the difference is it gives you a very defined benefit at the end. So um, a pension maybe would give you, I don't know, I'm just making up numbers now, $1,000 a month. So it's called a defined benefit plan. And a 401k is called a defined contribution plan because there's a defined contribution that you or the employer is putting into it, say, you know, 3% of your salary a month. But there's no guarantee about what your benefit is going to be at the end because the market could go up, it could go down. So they define the contribution, the benefit is up for grab. Whereas with a pension, the benefit is defined at the end. And I'm going to put in the show notes some links to some of the problems with pensions in the public sector and how they're going bankrupt for a variety of reasons in in certain areas. So the 401k has really sort of changed the retirement landscape from greater risk and greater contributions being put in by employers and putting it over to employees. We can go over the pros and cons of that maybe Mm -hmm. in a minute. So basically, for the employer, it's like a way better deal because they don't have to pay someone a pension for the whole rest of their life after they retire. It is a way better deal, yes. And there, I mean, obviously, since the market can go up and down, and you mentioned the issues in the private sector, or sorry, in the public sector where some of those pension funds are like like going under depending on, I imagine, like how many people are withdrawing money, baby boomers are out there and so on. Interesting, very interesting. Now, I'll just give a couple of, of examples really quick. So one of the most common sort of matching scenarios would be your company would match like 50% up to 6%. So they would put in like 3% overall. Now, with a real example, if you contributed, say, 6%, and then your employer does the three, so that's like 9% total that you're saving. For example, if you make 50000 a year, then you'd contribute 3000 annually, and your employer would put in 1500 So those are like real numbers, so you can sort of visualize it. One of the things to look out for when you're doing those contributions, there's often a vesting schedule for the employer matching. So say they vest it at 20% a year. If you're only at the company for three years, you'll only end up getting to keep 60% of what they've contributed. And then once you hit that 100% vesting, everything in it is yours. But that's something to look look at in your benefit schedule is is there a vesting is there a vesting schedule for the employer contributions? And I just looked up by the way, it is 59 and a half, so Thanks for letting me add that about the vesting schedule, but I think you were about to talk about contribution limits. Right. So the contribution limit it can change each year and often it it goes up. 
In 2018, you could max it out at 18,500. So depending on your salary, you may be able to put in, you know, way more than the 6%. And by the way, you know, when we start talking about our specific experiences, that's one thing both Elizabeth and I did. We contributed as much as we could afford early on. And I think that's, that's a key thing to remember as you're, you know, contributing and you're young, early in your career, put in as much as you can. All right. You want to talk about pros and cons of the 401k system? Sure. So I'm not um, a huge fan of the 401ks, but if your employer has a match, you should definitely contribute because that is a raise. It's totally voluntary. You don't have to contribute, but why would you give up, you know, a 3% raise? Um, So that's definitely a pro is it's a way for them to give you a little bit more money. Another pro of the 401k in some larger corporations, you can get free financial advice. So whoever brokers their 401k, they may have an individual that you can go to to ask questions about the plans. And then I think the other main pro is you set it and forget it. And this is what I did when I first started. My dad, he's also a saver, and I think I took a lot of his advice, but My very first job, I don't remember what percentage I decided I could put into my 401k, but let's say 10%. So I put 10% into the 401k. It got automatically taken out of my paycheck. And in a certain sense, then I never missed the money. It It wasn't money that I had. And then a year later, I said, well... I don't need that extra money because who's really going to say that? But if you get it set and you get used to never seeing that money come across, then it just becomes part of your daily routine and it's not something that you're you're missing. What about you, Doug? You got any other pros you think of with the 401k? Well, the most obvious one that you didn't mention is is tax deferred. So it's taken out of your paycheck before you pay taxes on it. So that is like the biggest benefit by far of the 401k. So the theory would be like you're able to, you know, grow your money in the market or however it's being invested. And then hopefully your tax rate when you retire will be lower and you'll you'll have to pay the taxes. But it will be, you know, after you start drawing the money after 59 and a half, which that actually brings me to one of the cons. And in my opinion, not being able to get to the money until you're 59 and a half, it's kind of dumb. Like, what if I want to retire when I'm 45? And that'll bring us to some other ideas we'll talk about in future episodes. But at that point, it's like your money's locked away. A lot of these rules are extremely arbitrary. Like, where does 18,500 come from? Where does 59 and a half come from? I'm sure there's some reason, but I'm sure it's buried in some political ideas versus anything practical. And those are the 2018 contribution limits. Is that what you just said? Right. Oh, and I apologize. I think earlier I said you couldn't get at the money till you were 65. I think Doug's right. I think it's 59 and a half. So Ted Benna, who I mentioned was the founder of the 401ks, in this NPR interview I listened to, he said, it's become much too complicated for the average employee. So you can read more about Mr. Benna. I I don't know much about him, but I think he sounds like a very interesting guy. And the man who developed this program 
really isn't in support of it anymore, which I thought was very interesting. So one of the cons are account fees. He uh, did say somewhere I read that it's just made Wall Street richer. So if you look at your individual investment options, if you were going to have a, you know an individual retirement account, not through your company, not a 401k, well, one, it wouldn't be tax deferred, so you would lose that benefit. But depending on, when, on what you invested in, the fees are going to be a heck of a lot lower, probably, than what your company is offering you. So in general, the fees through a 401k plan are pretty expensive. And it's buried. You, you're assuming you're getting a good deal from your company, but it's buried in all the literature and it's. I have no clue what I ever paid ever in any 401k I contributed to. I don't either. And I consider myself a fairly thorough person. And I remember the account, um, the head accountant in one of my companies saying to me, oh, gosh, our, our 401k options are so expensive. And I guess she knew because it was her business to know. But yeah, I never knew. And you could be talking like a 2% fee versus a 3% fee, but that's a 50% increase. It doesn't sound like much, oh, 2, 2% versus 3%. That's a 50% increase. And over the course of, say, 30 years, that's a ridiculous amount of money that they're charging versus it's a whole other topic to get into like financial advisement and the incentives of the advisors. And it's not necessarily you making money. It's, it's them making money. Again, a whole other discussion, but we've sort of fired all our financial advisors and handle it ourselves. We do. And I guess that's a good time for a disclaimer. We are not financial advisors. So please, please don't ever go somewhere and say, well, Doug and Elizabeth said this because... She just heard a thing on NPR, and then I Googled a couple things. We actually, we don't know much here. But we have had 401ks before, and I think it's it's very interesting. And, and one of the ways to survive the 9 to 5 is to save enough money to eventually get out of it. And I think that's the main point. If your company offers a match on your 401k, do whatever you can to at least contribute up to that limit where you'll get that match. And just a couple more cons real quick. Um, Limited investment options, so you can't invest in anything. There's a set number of investments with the 401k. And I think the biggest con for just the whole retirement program in general across the United States, especially as over the past 40 years it's transitioning from pensions over to more self-funded 401ks, the biggest con is that it's completely optional. So... Less people are participating in 401ks as companies are moving away from pensions over to 401ks and it disproportionately, and I'm going to put this up in the show notes since this isn't my opinion, this is what I read somewhere, but it disproportionately favors the wealthy and the higher educated. And that's a big con, I think, in terms of our our national retirement philosophy. I already mentioned my my biggest con, which is you can't get to the money until 59 and a half. And my thought is there's a lot of other ways that you can, you know, retire in a future episode. Actually, the next one, we're going to talk about mini retirements, a concept from the four hour work week. So that's I mean, that's a whole other set of uh, pros and cons, but a very interesting one that I, I like a lot. 
since we're saving it for another episode, one thing I want to bring up is the Roth IRA. So, uh, Elizabeth, do you have a Roth IRA? I, I do have a Roth IRA. There's very little money in it. I have a Roth IRA as well. I contributed to it for a while, but there's some rules about about that too. Quick definition on the Roth IRA. It's sort of the opposite um, of the deferred tax idea. It's where you, you pay taxes on your income and then you contribute to the Roth IRA and it is not taxed when you start withdrawing it. Still 59 and a half and it's just, you know, the other side of the coin. So the assum- one assumption is your tax rate will be higher. One assumption is the one will be lower. Most people that I know that are thinking about their retirement, they're contributing to both as, as often as they can. The thing with the Roth IRA is you can only contribute if you make under a certain amount. So I, I sort of capped out within a few years and then I wasn't able to contribute anymore. Anything else to add? Elizabeth on the Roth? The only thing I wanted to add on the Roth IRA was that because it's post-tax dollars you put in, it's not taxed when you take it out, but I believe the gains aren't taxed either. And that's what makes it, I think, a powerful investing tool. There's scuttlebutt every now and then about whether or not they'll just start taxing that. But That's my belief. I mean, I think in another whatever... 30 years when we can get the money out of there, then we're, (laughs) I messed up on the math there, but the point, we're older than that, but the point is, I think there will be some, maybe it won't be called a tax, but I bet there's going to be some fees or something if there are, you know, several billion dollars that, uh, of money that isn't taxed and it's people that planned ahead, I think it'll probably be taxed. What do you think, Elizabeth? I mean, pure speculation on my part. I I would agree, but I'm also a worrier. And my Roth IRA history, my dad said, oh, you need to start investing. And I said, okay, that sounds like a good idea, dad. So I put, at the time, I think you could only put $2,000 a year into your Roth. So I put $2,000 in for the year before. I think you can do that even if it's like February. So I put $2,000 in for the year before. Then I put 2000 in for that year. I had $4,000, which was a lot of money for me at the time. And then September 11th hit, and I lost like 60% of it overnight. And so I kind of have, I don't know, I kind of, I'm kind of a little scarred from that happening. I mean, obviously millions of people were in the same boat as I am, but I just kind of, I kind of gave up on it after that, which isn't really fair, but... Now we'll talk about our personal experience with 401ks and Roths and other, you know, retirement vehicles that we use. So Elizabeth, Roth didn't turn out that well because of the timing, but what about your 401k and other stuff that you're investing in? I hope it's turning out well. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Uh, I I did 401ks through my employers for a, you know, for most most of my career. I think it was a great tool for me because, like I said, it was a set it and forget it type of thing. I didn't really think of it as saving because it came immediately out of my paycheck. And so it was able to, you know, keep keep building and I couldn't touch it. I couldn't get it out. So that was a good thing. And I also used a private financial advisor that was recommended to me. I think 
as Doug mentioned, the problem with that for me, I don't think he did a very good job, but that's also that's also on me. I think if you use a private financial advisor, nobody nobody cares about your money as much as you, and if you don't stay on top of them, it's very easy to just let let your account stagnate and maybe you're not in the best investment options, but like I said, no one is invested as invested in you as you, and so if you're not engaged, I think that can turn out poorly, which is also the case with my 401k investments. It is good because you can set it and forget it, but if you completely forget it and your um, your 401k is growing over time, your investment mix might change and you need to pay attention to that and rebalance it periodically. And again, the financial advisor stuff could be a whole other discussion. The actively managed accounts in general don't perform any better than like a pure index fund. So that is our sort of operating procedure at this point. Just an index fund, maybe your gains won't be as high, but at least you're not trusting some person who's trying to sell funds to you because they get a better commission. At least you know the incentives and that's you're paying attention to your own money. So one thing that happened in my career, I went part-time for a little while, and I I guess I felt like I had a little bit more bandwidth to look into some of this investing stuff. So I read a book. I can't remember what what it was, but I'll put it in the show notes. It's a pretty famous book, but it's not really new. But I'll put that in the show notes. So I read a book. I also consolidated all of my 401ks from individual jobs. So that is another recommendation. If you move from job to job, your 401k is sort of hosted by that employer, but you can roll it over to an individual retirement account. Is that what it's called? You can roll them all into each other, which I would recommend doing so you don't lose sight of it. So if you're going to be switching jobs every three or four years, after 20 years, you might have four or five different 401k accounts sitting out there managed by four or five different bankers or brokers or whatever it's called. So when I had this bandwidth, I rolled all the money into one account so I could see it all in one place. And um, like I said, I read the book on investing. And then I started taking a more active role in choosing, you know, what funds I wanted to have and um, really working with the financial advisor until eventually Um, I stopped working with that financial advisor and just started managing all the money myself. What about you, Doug? What has your experience been? I started my 401k in my very first co-op job. So that is, it's like an internship. Uh, I went to Georgia Tech and they have a very active co-op program. So the benefits were awesome at this particular company. So I started when I was like 19 or so, started putting money into the 401k. Of course, when you look at compound interest, like that is the best time to invest when you're young. A lot of times you don't have as much money to put into your 401k or whatever retirement fund you're contributing to just because your salary is lower and you haven't accumulated you know, more wealth or, or whatever. So that was my first first investment with a 401k. And then I've always uh, kept it up at, at each job. I said this earlier for a few years, I totally maxed out um, as much as I could contribute to the 401k. So instead of putting in as like the minimum, right? So what we were mentioning before, you should at least put in what your company 
is going to match you for. So depending on the company, it could be, you know, even more than the 3% that we mentioned. But I realized, hey, my expenses are fairly low. I should really just put in as much as I could. So I was putting in like 20% at one point, And then, you know, maybe I got a raise. I hit the cap. And then maybe like the last couple months of the year, last couple of paychecks of the year, you don't contribute any because you've already maxed it out. So have you done that some, Elizabeth? Yes. Yeah. So if you can afford it, put in as much as you can. We mentioned the, you know, the minimum amount. That's literally like the minimum amount a logical person or a rational person would would put in. But if you could afford more, like definitely do it. It comes out before the money goes into your bank account from the direct deposit. So if you can set up these systems ahead of time, really big benefit. We're talking about contributing as early and as much as you can, but let's say you're, you know, 35, maybe you haven't been contributing. Like what advice would you give someone, Elizabeth, if they haven't been putting in that much up until this point? I would say it's never too late to start. And some of the advice you'll get out there, if you don't think you can start with 1% and, you know, grow it up over time. If you don't think you can jump right up to 10% coming out of your paycheck, but it's never too, too late to start. And the sooner you start investing, the better compound interest is a beautiful thing. Yep. And a lot of people, you know, through just the nature of being able to save money over time and you know maybe your expenses uh, go get a little bit cheaper over time depending on you know, your housing situation you're potentially able to contribute more as you get older so the amounts that we mentioned before are for people under 50 um, but I think it's a little bit more if you're over 50 so if you're you're retiring in the next 20 years right you may be able to contribute even more each year so yeah it's not too late contribute if you can. And the more you can save, the better. Be sure to check out the show notes and leave comments over at survivethe9to5.com. If you have any tips on 401ks, uh, retirement or investing, definitely let us know. Thanks. I'm Doug. I'm Elizabeth. Thank you for listening. This episode was all about retiring using like the normal script, the normal ideas that, that we know retiring when you're old. There's another idea from the four-hour work week around mini retirements. The general idea is to take breaks, take frequent breaks, maybe you know one to six months where you can go out and enjoy the things that you want to do, the things that you think you want to do when you retire. Maybe it's travel, maybe it's you know go rent a cabin in the woods and hang out there. But the idea is to do this while you're younger, when you can really enjoy it versus, you know, some 30 year period down the road. And you don't know if you're really going to like it. So that's next episode. We're going to talk about mini retirements. Mm-hmm.